Well, today's a very different type of service as today we are celebrating with Kevin and Whitney once again. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 19 and I'm going to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 this morning. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13, 14, and 15. And I'll be unpacking these verses, but also speaking specifically to Kevin and Whitney and then to all of you as a church. And so this morning, my question, the the title of my sermon is really a question, and it's a question that I hope you'll all wrestle with, no matter where you're at in your journey of faith, where you're at with how you view church. But my question is, do you, do you, plural, do we, hinder or help children coming to Jesus? And it's a question you've got to wrestle with, every one of us. Because when we think about children or kids, we've seen how already the decibel level has gone down dramatically since a series of children left. And it was kind of like organized chaos here for the song service, right? And I'm sure at different times we all had levels of frustration and or angst, wondering, can someone quiet that child? I remember we have three children. Uh, They've all pretty well grown past all the infant toddler stage, but I know it was like the nightmare of nightmares when we booked plane flights and got on planes with our infant toddler children and wondered, how was this flight going to go? Because we didn't just feel the pressure of a husband and a wife as a mom and a dad with our kids. We felt that pressure for every other person on the plane. And I remember back in June when we had our uh, retreat, one of our speakers flew down here from Vancouver and he got on the plane and about 10 or 15 minutes into the plane flight, a three-year-old had full-on projectile vomit and just hosed down two or three sections of seats all around him. And then Pat said the aroma of vomit just filled the cabin and they still had about two hours of flight left. And as he was telling me this, I just thought to myself, I would have just jumped off the plane. I don't think there was any way I would have made it because I don't do vomit and I don't do what comes out the other end very well, all right? Kids, what comes to your mind when I say kids? What do you picture? And again, as you've already seen, we love to talk about kids. We love to laugh at our kids and at kids in general. Watch TV, pick up a magazine, listen to the radio, and you'll hear something about kids, children, from how to raise them, from what's wrong with them and what's right with them, and how to analyze kids. But you know, I think it's really funny when it comes to children that for all the articles that want to analyze them, all the books that have been written from Dr. Spock into the Christian world onwards, and all the ways we try to both empower them, and I believe overemphasize their happiness. And that would be my first thing I would say to Kevin and Whitney and to all parents is don't overemphasize the happiness of your kids. You do them a disservice. You have to raise them for the real world. But it seems that for all of this emphasis and all this analysis and all the book writing, I find it hilarious that we often, most often, make fun of them. Watch America's Funniest Home Videos. Watch all these other different types of shows from Kids Say the Darndest Things, which is kind of a weird thing to say since Bill Cosby, who made it famous. The countless comic books and comic strips show that quite simply, we love to mock being a child. Why? What's all the confusion about we analyze them and then we make fun of them? (laughs) 
especially when you take Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15, and Jesus tells us to be like kids when it comes to him. So I find it ironic that the world is trying to figure out kids, that the world mocks kids, and yet Jesus says we're supposed to be like children when it comes to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I could spend all day here with you giving you stories of how your children can turn things around on you like that. All right, just one example of a little girl sitting watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink, and she suddenly noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to her beautiful brunette head. She looked at her mother and inquisitively said, Why are some of your hairs white, Mom? To which Mom said, Well, every time that you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. Great parenting. The little girl thought about this revelation and then said, well, mom, how come all of grandma's hair is white then? (laughs) Completely turned the tables on mom. We're here this morning to have a baby dedication. We're here this morning. I'm without apology. I'm making a lot of parenting. But what's your attitude towards those things? Are you for them or against them? Do you understand them? Do you even care? (laughs) The world has a saying, very familiar, and it's even in Israeli history, if you study that, even in Roman times of the first century, and it's this this saying here, children should be seen but not heard. Have you heard that? I heard that growing up. But have you ever wondered why church in general, and I hope and pray this church specifically, puts such an emphasis on children? I mean, think about it. We have nursery. We have children's church. We have run and hope to run again DVBS programs, daily vacation Bible schools. Our annual retreat that we have here at Calvary is largely built around our children. We bring in special people to do that. Then there are our plans already as elders and others. I've been talking with people. We want to have family fun days and make sure our youth group gets launched and we want to have a vibrant college group. What do you think of all of that? When I rattle all that off, some of you may get excited, but some of you might be thinking, man, they're really stacking the deck in favor of the kids to the neglect of the adults or the seniors of the church. Or what do you think of the stats? Do you realize as you and I are here in this room today that statistically they say between eight and nine out of every 10 children walk away from God after high school? That's the current stats. Eight to nine children walk away from God after high school. So one of the things you might be tempted to ask is, well, then if that's the case, is it all worth it? All the money, all the time, everything we're doing, is it worth it? If that's what our results are, and some of you might be saying, well, then we're getting it all wrong, so let's just kill everything and rethink the problem. But I want us to consider Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Now listen as I read this for you this morning. Listen to the word of God. Here is Jesus, Mark or Matthew, that tax collector turned disciple, says here and records for us this uh, uh, pericope, this story, this event that happens in the life of Jesus and the disciples Verse 19, sorry, verse 13. Then children were brought to him, that's Jesus, that he may lay his hands on them and pray. Now, the disciples, not the world, not other people, the disciples rebuked the people. The guys who were supposed to get it say to the people, 
what are you doing? Don't bring your kids around here. Then Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus is a man of action, not just words. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Now, if you had the time, if you want, as you're looking and reviewing the chapter of Matthew chapter 19, you'd look back a few verses and you'd realize that this pericope here, this event of blessing children, comes right after a couple of other key events in the chapter. One is marriage and divorce. The idea of relationships, all right? It seems that Matthew wants to continue showing us how Jesus connects the dot of the family, Plus, a moment ago, just back a few verses, the Pharisees are involved in trying to keep people from Jesus. So it it, it goes from the world's eye. And again, folks, just so you know, I'm I'm not here to preach that God doesn't allow for divorce or remarriage, but there's very specific ways and reasons for it. But this is about easy divorce. This is about where relationship doesn't mean anything. And then you have the Pharisees trying to keep people away. Now the disciples are almost, they're religiously stuck up and they're like, no, 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 this is big people stuff. So let's keep all the kids away. So before I even talk to Kevin and Whitney this morning, before I just address the parents in general about parenting, let us all, every one of us, male and female, consider a very uncomfortable question. Could I address Calvary Baptist Church? Do we, all of us, do you, try to keep kids from coming to Jesus? And what I mean by that is not necessarily with your actions. I can't point a finger at any of you and say, you are guilty of this, but I mean even with your attitude. You see, here's the thing about kids. They just seem to know if you want them around. They just know instinctively. So my first point for this baby dedication, my first address to not only Kevin and Whitney, but to everybody here is to answer this question. Why do we do baby dedications and should we? Why do we do them and should we? And the short answer is yes. Yes. In Matthew chapter 19, our passage all by itself tells us this by that publicly praying over and seeking God's blessing, seeking God's will, seeking God's way in the lives of the kids of our church family is not only proper and beneficial, but most importantly, it's biblical. So I want you to consider this. Blessings and dedications are in keeping with the traditions of the Bible. This is in keeping with the Bible. In Matthew 19, these are parents bringing their little ones. Now, you'll notice that Greek word, the word for children there, then children were brought to him. That's actually the Greek word for infants to toddlers. So newborns to probably three or maybe four years old. That's in keeping with the Old Testament, the Talmud in Deuteronomy. It tells parents how and when to dedicate their children to God. Most often a father would bring his child to the temple or synagogue and pray over his child and give them to the elders of that particular synagogue who would each hold the child and pray a prayer of blessing. And I saw this happen. I've had the great privilege of going to Israel four times. Two out of my four times when I went to what's called the Western Wall, uh, where it's the last great vestige is close to the temple and the holiest of holies that the Jews have today. And they congregate there by the hundreds and thousands every day. And when I went there twice, I've gone there, and I guess someone took note of my wedding ring, and I had men walk up to me who were there from various synagogues who said to me, are you a father? 
And I would say yes, and they would say, would you like me to pray a prayer of blessing over you and your children? That's happened to me twice, and my four times being to the Western Wall. So even in Israel today, this is important. And after all, wasn't Jesus himself dedicated by Mary and Joseph when he was eight days old, taken off to the temple where he meets Simeon and Anna? So secondly, Jesus not only did it, but commanded the disciples to allow it. So I want everybody to realize that. That's the part of the passage that amazes me. Because we see that the disciples were not just about, they they were not just not about having this, They actually were mad and even threatening. They rebuked the people. So it wasn't like, because you know how we are proper in the West. So when things happen, we might think to her, I don't like the fact that that's happening. But we may not say it out loud. We'll we'll talk about it afterwards. These guys were like in the room. No, no, no. Stop this. Stop. Uh, No more kid things. Like send send the kids somewhere. They don't need to be here. This is the grown-up stuff. But Jesus gives a double command in both the positive and negative. Look at the passage. He says, let the children come to me and then do not hinder them. And he's addressing guys that should get it. Mark, in his version of this, tells us something of Jesus' uh, emotions. I'm going to read it at the end. He uses the word indignant, that Jesus was indignant towards the disciples for trying to rebuff the advances of parents towards Jesus with their children. As well, for Kevin and Whitney, for all parents in this church, I want you to realize this. The power of prayer and the laying on of hands is found to have a special significance in the Bible. So when we call this family forward and Daniel or Steve holds Eden and we lay our hands over Kevin and Whitney and we pray over them, that's significant because it's in the keeping of the traditions of the Bible. The idea is first introduced to us in Genesis with the passing of a blessing from the father to his firstborn son. Then Jacob, that great father of Israel, did it with each of his sons in Genesis 48, with a special message to each of his boys. Even in making sacrifices, the laying on of hands played a huge part in the book of Leviticus. Prayer and the laying on of hands is common, not only in our Bible in the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament with ordination. Paul reminds Timothy of this. We've just looked at it in 1 Timothy, especially in the Gospels and in the book of Acts of healing. Jesus did that many times. He laid hands on people, gave them blessings and acts at the beginning of a church, the laying on of hands, even gave the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the idea here, though, is not that by doing this, we seal up Eden's soul for salvation. So when Kevin and Whitney bring their beautiful little daughter up here and we hold her and pray over her. It's not like what some denominations call confirmation. She's not then in. That's not what we're doing. This doesn't save her. The Bible clearly teaches that every man and woman must come to Jesus themselves. They've got to confess their sinfulness, repent of their sinfulness, and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But... There is a clear pattern of practice for parents in the Bible to seek the blessing of God, asking God to empower them as parents and to point their children or their child towards him and to acknowledge their need for his grace and mercy throughout life. And that's what I want Kevin and Whitney to do. And that's what I want us to join them in doing. In the Old Testament, I got thinking about this this past week. There's lots of talk about memorials. This was done as a memorial. There's all kinds of words about landmarks and how in huge events in Israel's life, they would gather up stones and they'd build a landmark and there's days of remembrance. And in the modern church, 
We have things like baby dedications and weddings and funerals and baptism and communion or our salvation testimony or membership to church. We have all these. And why do we have them? Well, they serve as memorials. They are meant to be landmarks in your life. So this act that Kevin and Whitney are going to participate in as parents and us as a church are really, we're recognizing Jesus' authority over life. What this couple is going to say, what we are going to affirm with them is that Jesus is sovereign and Jesus determines human destiny, not us. It doesn't matter how hard Kevin works or Whitney works or they work or we work. Eden's life is ultimately in the hands of God. And there's nothing we can do about it. And we trust him. But this act is also about Kevin and Whitney themselves. When they stand here before you, they are publicly declaring, here's our desire for Eden, and here's our intent with Eden and with ourselves to point her to Jesus, to point her to Jesus. And so another reason we do this, it allows the church to practice publicly the power of the gospel. Now, I want everybody to understand what I mean by that statement. You see, there's always a tension in a pastor's heart. I have to be, I'm going to be completely transparent and open about this now, especially in the world we live in where everybody's hypersensitive and political correctness has literally run amok. You see, if you talk about baby dedication or parenting, you celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day, there's always the potential that a group in your church feels left out. Someone's not being talked about. And so we got to have a special day for everybody. Or if I lift this up and celebrate it, then another group will feel like I don't love them or they're not important. Now, I want everybody to listen. If a church is healthy and obedient to God's word, then there must be, must be, kids of all ages and from all circumstances of life. There should be teenagers and college kids, single folks and divorced folks, married folks, widows, widowers, couples, seniors, those with kids, those without kids, those who have had kids biologically and those who have adopted, men, women, rich, poor, the educated, those who are not, those who can sing and those who can't, those who can lead and those who follow. But we are all called up to serve and we are all commanded to love each other and pray for each other and rejoice with each other and weep with each other and do the things that Paul commands in Romans 12. Amen? There you go. Thanks, Bruce, for coming in. Romans 12, 11, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Paul says, let love be genuine. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I don't know how God has wired this into me, but I tend to be able to sense if someone likes me because they're led to like me or like me because they want to get something from me. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Paul says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Here's one of my favorite sayings in all the Bible. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh, how I long for us to be a people that just look for ways to make much of each other. To celebrate and compliment each other and do things. Do not be slothful in being. Don't be lazy in being zealous or fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. 
be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Now this, see the first part of this is real easy. And everybody go, yeah. But, but now it's getting like, what, what, what? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. How does that push back against the culture? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be honey. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Never, notice this, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. So what does this mean? That when we're all believing in and trusting in the gospel, we do these things, right? It doesn't have to be complicated to be profound. We don't feel belittled or inferior because we have a service to bring a little baby up with their parents and pray. We see that this is family, just as important as my family, just as it is. Because Jesus is our our function, because of Jesus, our function and roles may be different, but our value, our purpose, our calling is in Christ, is just the same and just as important to Jesus Christ as anybody. So whether you're single or married, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced or remarried, doesn't matter where you're at. Wherever you are on your spectrum, every one of us may be called to something different, but Jesus Christ loves us as the Father loves him, one and all. Now that should be exciting. That should give you purpose and make sense. So single folks and young people, seniors whose kids have grown, couples who do not have children, not only see why we do this, but rejoice in it for the parents and our church and the children of our church and even more, you come alongside and help those who have this calling. This, by the way, blessed my heart yesterday. As we celebrated Kevin and Whitney's wedding, I was most blessed by not just all who came, but how many single people came and how you supported this couple and this family. And your, your presence blessed my heart. And so for all of you that came, thank you. And you served God, you blessed Kevin and Whitney, and you blessed so many others. Having children, for those of us who understand the gospel, is not thinking God loves us more. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? But rather, God in His sovereignty has called us as couples to a different stewardship. There's a reason why the kid's song says, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world because He loves us all. So my next point is really a question then. What is the role and responsibility of the church towards children? Because let's move from theory into practical. Practically, if we are a church that's all about family, we are to welcome children to church and not just have programs to get them out of our here. We're supposed to welcome them into church and understand that children cry, they're whiny, they have short attention spans. Listen, I've met a lot of adults like that. They just control it better and wait for private sessions to do all the things that kids do publicly. Secondly, we are to prioritize the discipleship of children. Now you know why we're doing the New City Catechism in our bulletin. It's why we do Desiring God in Sunday School. It's why we're doing this New City Catechism and the Gospel Project in our children's church ministry. We want to disciple our kids. Thirdly, we are to seek to be like them in our own approach to Jesus. Do you know how much better a church is if everybody in there is just childlike? Instead of cynical and jaded and suspicious. While I was home, when I say home, back to PEI, 
It's been our home for the last 15 years. Uh, our niece Shelby, who is like a daughter to us, has had little Harrison. And we got to go to friends of ours that have a beautiful swimming pool. And we had a big pool party and barbecue. And little Harrison is not quite two years old and he can walk. And he knows enough to be dangerous to himself and everybody around him. But he loves the pool. But he would walk up to the edge of the pool and, and he was a little unsteady. So Uncle Steve got into the, into the pool and I put my arms out to Harrison and say, come to Uncle Steve. And the big smile would come off his, and Debbie's got a video, and he just ran, he, he just ran and beat her and just, just kept walking right over the edge. Had no idea how far to the bottom it was. Had no idea if I was strong enough or not. Had no idea if I had the ability to swim with another person. He's just like, that dude says, come, I'm coming. That's childlike faith. He just wholeheartedly, almost ignorantly, blissfully said, that dude says, come, I'm coming. Because it's the only word I understand. I understand come. I don't understand buoyancy. I don't understand gravity. I, don't, I just know that that dude has a face that smiles. It's familiar. And he's got his arms up and said, jump. And he does. Imagine if we had that attitude towards Jesus. And we just trusted him. Number four, we're to point them to a relationship with Jesus more than a religion to follow. Kevin went, the worst thing you will ever do for Canaan or Eli or Eden is give them religion. Give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. And the strange thing is we actually must become like a child to do that. That is what Jesus is talking about in our passage. He even made more clear in Matthew 18. If you were to go back to Matthew chapter 18, just go back a chapter to verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, now listen to this. Now, is this not a classic kid question? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Have you ever played, those of you that are over 40, did you ever play, I'm the king of the castle and you're the dirty rascal? Come on, hands up. Confession time. Yeah, a lot of you did. Some of you are under 40 and you played that, yeah? Especially when you get the good snow banks or you get whatever and someone gets up and I'm the king of the castle and all the other kids are trying and you're shoving them down and it's all in play, but man, you're, you're staying up there because you believe you're saying, right? And so the disciples, these are grown men, businessmen, tax collectors, and they come, who's the greatest? Who's the king of the castle, Jesus? <laughs> and look at what Jesus does. And calling to him a child, same word, which meant infant to toddler, he put them in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what he means there? That child was obviously there in the vicinity, but he did not dare come in the middle of everything and act like he had the right. He was summoned in and he just went because somebody said it was okay to be there. And if you've ever watched kids, I, I had uh, a little, little one yesterday that wanted to say goodbye to me. And, and you could tell she was nervous because she didn't know me. But the parents had said, go say goodbye to pa And so she was stood there and she waited to be summoned because she needed to know it was safe. There was no arrogance. There was no, I have the right. And so Jesus calls him and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin Notice what Jesus says. It would be better for him to have a great milestone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Funny, this is the words of Jesus you don't see much on the coffee cups. Where Jesus basically says, you, you better take care in how you see children, how you act, and how you treat each other. See, Jesus, now let me make clear, Jesus doesn't think children are perfect. He created them. 
Our Bible says that children are born in sin. We're conceived, that is, we're born sinners. We don't become sinners. You don't do bad things and become sinners. We do bad things because we are sinners. Just read Romans 5 and 6. Through Adam, we are all infected with the total depravity of sin. Jesus, who created us, knows this. But Jesus also knows that children have a certain innocence about them. While they are not sinless, they do have, and they do not have to be taught to do wrong. I've never taught one of my three kids to get angry, selfish, or to lie. They just all figured it out. The first word of all three of them was no, not yes. You don't have to teach your children how to do bad things. But he loved them with a special compassion, as in our passage of Matthew 19, because there's an openness about children, a trustfulness. One man said this, As the flower in the garden stretches toward the light of the sun, so there is in the child a mysterious inclination toward the eternal light. Have you ever noticed this mysterious thing? That when you tell the smallest child about God, he or she never asks with strangeness or wonder what or who is God. They just buy it. I have never seen him, they don't say but listens with shining face to the words as though they were soft, loving sounds from the land of home. Or when you teach a child to fold his or her hands in prayer, they do this as though it was a matter of course, as though they're opening for it that world of which they had been dreaming with longing anticipation. Or tell them, these little ones, the story of the Savior. Show them pictures with scenes and personages of the Bible and see how pure their eyes shine and how their little hearts beat. And, and then we must be like it. We must be like that. So this is why Calvary Baptist, we must not only allow, but celebrate and teach and then learn from children. But most of all, we need to protect them and protect this gospel light in them to seek to instill that in them and in us, that childlike, simple, humble trust in Christ. And so for Kevin and Whitney and for every parent here and for this church, what is the responsibility and role of parents with children? Well, I'll give you the list. Genesis 37, 4, love them. Proverbs 1, 8, instruct them. Genesis 50, 16, command them. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, guide and warn them. Hosea 11, 1 to 3, train them. Genesis 34, 30, rebuke them. 1 Samuel 3, restrain them. Deuteronomy 21, punish them. Hebrews 12, 7, chasten them, correct them. Know the difference between formative discipline and corrective discipline. Isaiah 1, 2, nourish them. Matthew 7, 8 to 11, supply their needs. Ephesians 6, 4, do not provoke them. And so for every mom and dad here, do we care enough about God and our kids to have a time regularly in our home where we talk about God's word, where we talk about God himself, we pray to him as a family? And and by the way, married couples, that's a really great habit to get into as married couples. Praying together, read God's word together. Which leads me to this simple question. How many of us as individuals are actually spending time with Jesus? Spending time in his word, spending time with him, not in some favor-earning religious sort of way, but a delight, delighting in Jesus kind of way. I'm in a relationship with God who loves me and I love him sort of way. And before I wrap this up, 
And we bring Kevin and Whitney up along with Eden and we stand as a church to show our obedience and our commitment and our support to not only Kevin and Whit, but to Eden and to every child and young person in this church. Let me read the same passage from Mark 10, but now let me read it from the message. Eugene Peterson's the message. Here's what he says. The people brought children to Jesus hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between me, them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Mark this. Unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering up the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see how Jesus connects the heart and mind of a child to the gospel? If you and I are delighting in Jesus, in his love and mercy and grace for us, we'll seek to pour that out on all the people of this church, especially the kids. Why? Because we will see them, in them, what we will most want in ourselves. That humble, simple trust. You see, when I was... When Abby was about 10, we were driving to church. Abby is my little theologian, and she often drops major theological ideologies on me as I'm driving to church. But one day we were driving to church, and about halfway there, Abby said this to me, Dad, what's for dinner? And I was really amazed by that question. I mean, that's a question I get asked all the time by my kids. But what, what amazed me about, Debbie, about Abby's question that day was Abby assumed that there'd just be an answer and that there would be dinner because I'm dad and I will provide it. It wasn't like, what's for dinner, dad? Like, do you like me enough to give it to me? Or what's for dinner, dad? Like, will we even have dinner? It was just, hey, you're dad. I'm your daughter. It's lunch is coming. What's for dinner? And I thought to myself, how often do you and I pray that way to God? How often do we go to God and just simply say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Knowing that he's your savior. Knowing that he is with you. And so for Kevin and for Whitney, for his parents, you need to understand some things that are pointed out to you in this passion passage. And likewise for Calvary Baptist Church. Number one, Kevin and Whit, it's your role and calling to disciple Eden and it's our church's role to disciple children towards Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, starts at home. Number two, it is your role and calling to teach Eden and our role to teach children to be less dependent on us and more dependent on Jesus Christ every day. Do not raise codependent children. Raise children that will be dependent on Jesus Right now, Eden is completely dependent on you both. And you'll actively model and teach her to accomplish all kinds of things, from rolling over to walking to tying her shoes and printing her name. But at some point, you need to let her go and grab a hold of God. Number three, it is your role and calling to model for Eden and us to model for our children what it means to delight in Jesus. Your children will know if you are in this for peer pressure or if you're in this for what you think is in it for you, or if you're in it purely for the delight of Jesus. Just why, by the way, as a side note, just why children know if mom and dad are in it for each other or in it for the benefits. 
my kids know if I'm with Debbie because I love her or if I'm in Debbie for what I can get from her. And their view of marriage and relationships is much more strengthened if they believe that I'm with Debbie because I delight in Debbie than if purely for what I can get from her and vice versa. God's blessing comes at a costly price, the death of Christ. 1 Peter 3.8, which was in our bulletin, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. You need to teach those things to Eden, that Jesus died for her sinfulness. Paul explains it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so make sure as you raise this wee little girl, as you raise your two boys, finish the story. Eden will realize early in her life that she's blown it, that she's not perfect. But in times like those, show her how Jesus was perfect for her. And that can you see what God is after? It is not all of us who, is it not all of us who have blown it like all kids have blown it? Today, as we are, as today, all of us can be brought to God, but the question is, will you give yourself to God? Trust Jesus today that the full blessing of heaven is given you, and will you receive it? So if you're here this morning, will you ask yourself, is my heart yielded to the king? Has the kingdom come to you? Have you truly yielded your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord's will? And so for Kevin and Whitney and Calvary Baptist Church, this is what we've got to do. This is what we've got to believe in. This is what we've got to live out. This is what we've got to preach. This is the good news. We're called upon to be witnesses and ambassadors of this. That's why John says what he does in John chapter one. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We read about it in Romans eight, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so, for everybody here this morning, I leave you with three closing thoughts. Never doubt God wants to bless you. Never doubt God's welcome of you. And never doubt God values you.